Hey guys, welcome back to the Moontime Munchies podcast. I'm Morgan Daly and oh my goodness, it has been so long since I've uh, recorded or released an episode. It's been probably over a month and honestly, all of the excuses. <laughs> I mean, it's been a crazy month with, you know, the the mercury and the planets and the hormones and having that time of the month and then just life being crazy, man. But I'm so, so excited to be back. I love producing content. I love researching these things and understanding them myself and creating essays for my own brain to know what the heck I'm learning and to share that to make education more accessible. I'm so passionate about doing this and everything I create. Oh my God, there's a noise. Um, (laughs) So I'm very, very excited to be back. Um, Today's episode is our thoughts and uh, understanding them and how they reflect in our lives. So let's just jump right in. So and this started from actually listening to um, Mayim Bialik's podcast, like Mayim Bialik's Breakdown, um, which love her. Um, <laughs> I definitely want to deep dive and listen to a lot more of her episodes, but I was listening to the one that she had uh, Byron Katie in, and it was um, her belief in that episode, what they talked about was... Um, She believed that uh, our thoughts are why we suffer, and when we change them, we don't. And I said, of well, my opinion on this is, of course, this pertains to our unpleasant thoughts, but even the pleasant ones can be limited by our own beliefs of whether or not they're obtainable, or at very least, if they're challenging to obtain. So Byron Katie speaks of what she calls our underlying beliefs. These are the self-limiting beliefs that I constantly speak of in pretty much every episode um, that are ingrained into our subconscious mind and color our perception of the world. For example, instead of having an experience and a subsequent reflection, um, the one that Maya used uh, were my children ignore me when I ask them to put away their things. You might build anger and resentment not realizing that this initial thought doesn't warrant that reaction, but your underlying beliefs may warrant that, such as for her, it was children should respect adults, uh, people should respect me, people should follow my directions, my Direction is what's best for other people, or if someone ignores me, that means they don't respect me, or so on and so forth. This is one lens in which we view our subjective reality that our egoic, logical mind has accepted as true based on a few limited past experiences in its attempt to fulfill its purpose in understanding our external realities, labeling it and protecting us from it, and not readdressing these assumptions unless you make the active choice to unpack it, maintaining our own limitations and rippled out damaging in our relationships. This thinking doesn't allow for the infinite other reasonings for your initial situation. It gives you a similar feeling from the past with justification from back then and inhibits you from accepting and therefore agreeing to alternative realities that also exist. As much as the mind wants 
simple solutions and understanding. Our world is one of divine chaos. Black and white reasoning can have a space in survival, but not in truly living. In this example, those underlying beliefs can lead to lashing out at your child for what you perceived as disrespectful, which could leave them feeling inadequate, misunderstood, unworthy of respect, or understanding or communication or anything <laughs> themselves. All because you didn't allow for the infinite possibilities of the reality you share, simply the harmful one of your past. The child could have other priorities, could not know how to properly clean up. They could have ADHD for all you know, but you don't know because you're not allowing for other truths and damaging your relationship and this child's perspective in the process. This is just one example of the millions of underlying beliefs that we bring into every one of our encounters and how they can be harmful. There's a fascination, almost a hang-up, on the concept of manifestation. And it's true that the reality we accept as true internally must be reflected externally. But I find that too many people are coming at this from a point of desperation out of hatred or complete disdain for their current realities. Our minds and bodies want to think and do. We are even ingrained this belief by this self-sacrificing culture we subscribe to in order to earn sustenance and stability, which is not the natural way because those who are benefiting from it are manipulating our beliefs with fear and miseducation from a place of their own misguided beliefs that power is taken instead of found within. Many of us fall into spirituality and psychology from our own personal traumas. We are so uncomfortable with how broken people had treated us that we are willing to do any work, willing to sacrifice any value we hold to get a... What we far too often overlook is that manifestation, changing your external world to reflect your inner world, doesn't need action especially unaligned action. It's finding what you truly align to that will spark that aligned action. Otherwise, work is in understanding your desires and making space for them. Far too many of us have accepted this limiting belief that productivity only looks one way. To rest is shameful or to stay busy and to burn out is always better, even when that action doesn't lead to results that do much for anyone. We are taught this self-sacrificing nature to be of service to those whose trauma led to a narcissistic lens of the world that they must take, that what they need is outside of themselves, or that people don't want to help them, so they must manipulate them into doing so. When I am aligned to a high enough vibrational timeline, I tap into my skill of divination. But because I'm in a high vibrational receiving energy at the time, the future I see is one that I want. Granted, sometimes I can see other timelines, but for this example, it inspires action, which manifests exactly what I saw. And sometimes I see other things or things that I choose to manifest that I never saw, or I see things that are for other people, but nonetheless, this has a chicken or the egg conundrum. Um, and we, you know, find ourselves caught up in a what came first? Did I see it or did I like what I see and I, I made it happen? What, what's going on here? 
But in all actuality, it's more of a yin and a yang energy. It's a cycling of an ever-evolving mirrored reality and one holding truth within the other. It's an endless cycle of cause and effect. One man's cause is another man's effect. However, none of this changes the fact that we are designing how we perceive the world. The same is true for the state of reality we see reflected in our lives. When we want to force things to change, we are coming from a place of fear or anger or discomfort. This is in dissonance with the peace and contentment we most deeply desire within the mind, body, and soul. And therefore, we will take action confusing the two paths and create a reality that we do not desire. When we simply decide what our reality will be, it must become that. This is the balance between appreciating what is and changing what can no longer be. For example, if you are wishing to leave an abusive home, you would put your intention on no longer accepting such treatment, possibly even using your most undervalued but incredibly important resource of imagination to attract the exact kind of home that you feel in your most aligned moments would be safe, nourishing, and inspiring. This will be as easy as you believe it to be. If you believe it to be challenging or your protective ego subconscious has subscribed to beliefs that contradict this new one, it is possible that there may be work that must be done before you can believe that you deserve this and that it's possible with such conviction that there is no longer space for fear and doubt. That's when it happens, when you feel change is so imminent that you no longer even need to concern yourself with thoughts on the topic. This is how all disharmony with humans has occurred, from small squabbles and disagreements to wars, violence, and the politics that harm any person. People have this misguided belief that action comes first, or that power comes from anywhere besides the self. You have these misguided individuals determined for their desire and completely unbothered with the harmful impact their actions may have on others. We as people feel this as it is our most powerful sense to intuitively pick up on the energies that surround us. And then we fear these individuals because of course we don't want anything taken from us, whether it's our, our rights or our freedoms or um, our lives or our safety or our families, whatever it may be. And between the unaligned and misguided determination of one party and the fear of another, a negative reality is co-created. If the first party could cultivate true peace and contentment in self, they would realize that those superficial desires are not the source of anything sustainable and feel naturally guided to act from a place of compassion. As it stands, unconditional love is the understanding that we are all one. I cannot hurt you without it hurting me. It's not one person's boundary should ever be valued over another's, but rather that it is harmful to overlook either. 
if the second party was aware that what their energy is focused on is what manifests, they would not fear the worst. They would know that no matter how misguided or harmful somebody can be, it cannot affect our reality until we make it so. And if we do not hand over the parts of ourselves and our well-being in fear, then that person will fall on their ass and learn a lot quicker and they won't harm us in the process. So am I just blaming the victim? Am I saying that there wouldn't be shooters if we had a better mental health system in this country or if we allowed men to have their feelings? Am I saying that there would be less sexual predators if we didn't convince women to live in fear embodying prey, or if we validated the sexual frustration of a young boy with no healthy male figure in his life? Am I saying that we wouldn't go to war if our politicians knew that money wasn't giving them any happiness, but their belief that it was, which came from themselves, is what was bringing and providing that happiness, and that they really had no respect or power because they tried to take it instead of earning it? Am I saying that our rights wouldn't be taken away if we didn't fear that they would be? Yep, I'm saying all of that. However, am I victim blaming? No. Is any of this the victim of a shooting or an unjust law or a sexual assault or a war or whatever's fault? Absolutely not. These things start in the fundamental development of our children. This is why so many people in my generation are shit scared of having children. In the psychological work, so many of us in this particular era are taking on to repair the generational trauma accumulated by demanding people to be less than human to build the society that we have today. We are now realizing just how much of a damaging ripple outwards those actions have had. That just one interaction of a parent being too tired or overwhelmed and choosing to neglect a child crying and carrying on can lead to a subconscious belief within that child that they are not worthy of care. No parent will ever be perfect because every single person, relationship, interaction, and moment is unique, and there is no instruction manual. As much as I hate to use that phrase because so many of our parents used it to justify their neglect or refusal to understand why we differed from them at all, as if we weren't autonomous beings, but... Um, it is a continuation of that neglect that has damned us. It's the lack of communication and compassion. We have failed to understand each other, to validate our experiences, to understand different perspectives. I recently read the book, I Deserve Love by Sandra Ray. It's actually what taught me how to properly write out affirmations like repetitively until that part of your mind that has accepted a truth that's actually harming you and subsequently those around you is modified. I sat there writing things like, I am safe to let love in until I could feel the fear that I wasn't, that I held on so tightly to, fade away. My goal here is not to blame the victim. What has happened to you will never be your fault. But as a recovering victim for over a decade now, I've learned that it is in your identifying with that pain that perpetuates your suffering. I remember old conversations with my best friend when I would speak of wanting to work on creative projects with certain people or find more friends like us or to fall in love. I always imagined that I would have to preface myself with my trauma or my neurodivergency 
until I realized what I was actually doing was making an excuse for myself. I was approaching the situation with the mindset that I was somehow not going to be enough for them because I was taught that I was supposed to be of service to others, completely sacrificing of self to have the most minuscule of value to others. And I knew in my mind that I was fundamentally different and I can't always predict what others expect from me. But I mean, no one can, that's absurd. I grew to understand that those who will love you for who you truly are won't be able to find you unless you're showing up as authentically who you are. And if you still feel the need to make excuse for your differences, chances are you're not fully embracing them either. But I also discovered that people don't necessarily know more than me. They know different than me. And I will never be able to learn what they know from a mindset of lacking worth or knowledge and shaming myself for that. In the book I mentioned previously, it speaks mostly of people's sexual and intimate relationships and how the things that they accept as true, whether from their upbringing, trauma, or media, mold what they accept and attract in relationships. This is where the intimidation comes from, my generation's sudden understanding of what lazy moments in parenting can do. I have this memory of when my mother wanted to save time, so she jumped in the shower with me, and I was incredibly uncomfortable with this, but I was not taught that it was safe or reasonable for me to verbalize my boundaries at the time. I was like 10 or something. So um, I just went with it and was uncomfortable. Uh, she had asked me to like sit on this ledge to wash my feet, and I refused because my sensory sensitivity with my ADHD, which I did not understand that I even had or had symptoms of or any education about, so I couldn't articulate this either. Um, but I was very uncomfortable with sitting on a wet ledge with my bare skin. So um, my mother, just being stubborn as I was as well, but she was frustrated and refusing to communicate her intentions or understanding any of mine. She resigned to telling me that the soap would just run down my body and I would be fine. And now some people do this and some people don't. That's completely fine. But my point is I didn't know that there was another option until way too many years later. Now, we don't combat lazy parenting with forced teachings. We can inflict just as much damage this way. We do so by being mindful and present as much as we can in our own lives. We will notice when we can impart wisdom and not. We will know when to reinforce the significance of harmony with the self. I had also personally experienced a lot of people acting like I didn't know things just to be able to say that they were the ones who taught me and to validate themselves externally for having this knowledge that for them equated to some sort of feeling of excellence or superiority within their ego when knowledge itself is neutral. Despite how much I actually did ask for help and I had to teach myself, I was rarely ever taught anything from the intention of somebody knowing me well enough to understand where my perspective left off and compassionately hoping to bestow upon me wisdom that I actually seeked. You know, the intention of the entire education system going into it, but never the outcome. That dynamic. <laughs> It's about living intentionally, as all things are, honestly. Um, the right action to take will come to us. 
We've become so focused on the doing and furthermore, the doing for others that we sacrifice our lifetime and life source energy to give what we ourselves need, failing to provide a product, service, or presence that another individual in said relationship needed, depleting ourselves in the process. Be courageous enough to sit with yourself in the silence, to challenge your own beliefs, to nourish yourself with what you need, and to see what direction calls to you to go towards next. As I've mentioned previously in one of these episodes, two very harmful philosophies several members of my family had repetitively taught me were your intentions don't matter, only how you made me feel. And if you don't have what you want, you haven't given enough people what they want. From these two phrases alone, you can tell a very immature mindset, often found in narcissistic abusers and their misinterpretation of what selfishness means. Not to say that the people who said this most were narcissistic abusers, some were, but not all of them. But it did come from a narcissistic place in those people nonetheless. I digress. (laughs) To care for the self is not to neglect another. It is alignment with the self, with oneness, and therefore with you as well. It is the definition of unconditional love that I had described before, not placing one needs above the other, but understanding that you are you and with you for an eternity of your ever-evolving fragmentation of this unique experience of source. You will only ever be as good for others as you are for yourself. Unfortunately, many of our parents experience neglect due to our grandparents having to neglect themselves to build the momentum of the society we see today. This rooted an underlying belief in our parents that no one would be there for them besides themselves, which bred in their parenting this lack of autonomy between them and us, their selfish behavior in the proper definition of the term, of us, and what we have yet to have been taught about or understand ourselves led to this feeling of inadequacy within our generation and manifested in this sacrificial, empathic behavior. We as a generation are not overly sensitive. We simply are the first to leave the quote-unquote suck-it-up era, as my friends and I like to put it. We have the privilege to do the work, and thus we see the overwhelming damage of this compounded neglect of the mind, emotion, and spirit for hundreds of years. This is not any less challenging, consuming, or profoundly impactful as the work of our ancestors. It's simply different. It's also not a physical thing that we can show them. Like, here, I built a skyscraper. (laughs) Or something that they have any common ground or means of understanding, so it's easy for them to invalidate all the work that we've done, because it's not something that's mutually understandable without shared experience, as I've said. So... Your feelings are valid, despite the damaging backlash you may receive. I personally have endured such significant trauma that there was about a decade of my life where I needed to identify with recovering from it, a time where there wasn't much more to my thoughts or behaviors. 
And although healing is never ending, in closing that chapter, I had to accept that my ad- my identity, sorry, had nothing to do with what I had gone through and face the anxiety that came with having to put other aspects of myself that were on the back burner for so many years out there and face those inadequate feelings or feelings of disadvantage in comparison to my peers or predecessors. When in actuality, I was at a great advantage because I had rebuilt a strong foundation. So will it ever be your fault that broken people broke you? Absolutely not. And your feelings about it are entirely valid, no matter what they may be. However, it is now your responsibility to change that narrative so that your future may reflect your truest desires and not the fears or limitations of the past. When we shield ourselves from pain, we hide from love too. The bravest and most spiritually aligned thing you could ever do is to be vulnerable and authentically you which will then lead to you making space for others to do the same. With all that gray area and chaos that comes with freeing yourself of those underlying beliefs. I had mentioned this before, but quite some time ago, I came across a post with a rather harmful mindset that stated that unconditionally loving relationships are not healthy because relationships need boundaries. I think the biggest discrepancy here is the misunderstanding of the definitions of the words boundaries versus conditions. It is my belief that every healthy relationship should have boundaries unique to the parties involved as being well-established, communicated, and reciprocated and respected. (laughs) But this can also be true in unconditionally loving relationships of all kinds. If someone were to love all of you exactly as who you were in every evolution of yourself, that would include your boundaries and they would want to care for your needs. On the other hand, if someone did not respect your boundaries and you needed to take space for yourself, you do not automatically stop loving them. I believe that there can be varying degrees of liking people we have relationships with and obviously millions of different kinds of love. But to love unconditionally is something that you can have in every relationship, even with pets, activities, or objects. Despite how in love you feel or how much you like each aspect of that person, place, thing, object, whatever, (laughs) you care completely and regardless of circumstance. Therefore, you could never bring yourself to cause harm for the sake of harm. Unconditional love is not your boundaries are more important than mine. It's that they are equal to mine. And though I must fill my own cup first, I cannot bring harm to you without it harming me as well. I believe that unconditionally loving is one of the only kinds of love that you choose to have or bring into your relationships because it comes from you alone and how you approach the situation. It's almost a baseline respect where you could very much dislike someone for the harm that they've caused you, but realize that there's no point in returning that negativity. 
As always, this has been my thoughts on some things. I'd love to hear your perspective. My name's Morgan Daly, and I'm on most platforms. Be kind, be mindful, and have a good day on purpose. Bye!